You're listening to the Irish Times. And we are back for 2019. Happy New Year, Pat. Happy New Year too, Matt. Happy New Year to all the many listeners to the Added Time podcast in the Irish Times. I'm Malachy Clerken and he is Pat Nugent. I was at a kid's birthday party on Saturday, Pat. Were you? Well done. I was. I was at one of those uh, hellscape play centres in uh, Dundrum Shopping Centre where loads of toddlers run around while the parents kind of stand there going, oh my God, will this be over soon? And weirdly, way to spend a Saturday. Weirdly, and for no apparent reason, in this play centre, up on the TV, the RT News Channel was what was on. You would imagine, like, that they would have, I don't know, Peppa Pig or something on. But no, the RT News Channel was on. And idly, trying to kill the two hours while I was there, I noticed flashing across the bottom of the RT News Channel. USADA, which is the American Anti-Doping Association, hand down warning to 90-year-old cyclist for his failed test at the American Track Championships last year. Okay, hang on, wait. Yes. Why was there a 90-year-old competing in the track championships? You have no idea how glad I am you asked that, Pat. Go on. So, first of all, it was a master's track cycling. All right, well, it's a little bit better. Yes. Uh, Second of all, he was competing in the... 90 to 94 age category. <laughs> was, there, was there many people in that category? Again, Pat, delighted you asked that. There was one person in it. Okay. <laughs> and it was this guy who you Usada tested. I mean, presumably because... By turning a, up, he By won. turning up, he won. By winning in a one-person category, he set like a world record for whatever the, the category is. Got tested... And failed the dope test. What drugs had he taken? No. Not quite as happy you asked that. Hang on. I've written about this in the Irish Times this morning, so I'm going to have to read it. Uh, Grove 90 tested positive for epitrenbolone, which is a metabolite of the prohibited substance trenbolone. As a result of in-competition urine sample he provided on July the 11th, 2018. While investigating the source of his positive test, it was determined that a supplement Grove was using prior to July the 11th, 2018, was contaminated, contaminated with clomiphene. So he tests positive for two things. In fairness, and many 90-year-olds are on many supplements, I would imagine. Look at you. Just to keep themselves ticking over, not to mind being able to get on a bike. Uh, yeah, that's what I was saying. Uh, now, presumably you would have to have a TUE to, to, get, to get past for the 16 different drugs you're taking every day. Anyway, as I was watching this, Pat, I was walking around going, oh, here, I have a column to write on Monday morning and there is no sport on um, that I care about or want to watch. Uh, and so this is what my column was about in the Irish Times this morning. And it was great crack to write. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. That you're just praising your own column there for Oh, no, I mean, I mean, it's the column is fine, it's fine, yeah. it's fine. But it was a lot of fun to write on a Sunday morning uh, at the start of January when there's no sport on and you have a thousand words to deliver for the paper the next morning. I think there should be an automatic TUEs. Um, just as soon as you're cross 80 and you're entering into any competition at all, I say fair play, uh, go wild. Of course, go wild. What in the name of Jesus are you sad at doing testing 90-year-olds when there are actual drug takers out there? When they watch the NFL every weekend and see these homunculus balls of muscle 
pinballing into each other at lethal force and scrambling their brains. Why are they? That's what you said it should be at. Like, talk about going, going, telling the cops to go and catch some real criminals. A 90-year-old who is uh, track cycling ought to be provided with a canister of EPO before he sets anywhere near a bloody bike, for the love of God. Don't go talking about the NFL. I was at a wedding yesterday and I'm oh, yes. pissed at all, so I'm, 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 I'm keeping away from it. Well, you want to watch the highlights now when we're finished the podcast, Pat, because some extraordinary stuff happened. We will be talking, as the podcast goes on, to... Uh, Philip Reid is coming in later to talk about Park Harrington assuming the Ryder Cup captaincy. But first, we have our first catch-up with the rugby lads of 2019. Happy New Year, Gavin. Happy New Year, Jerry. Happy New Year. Thanks for coming in, lads. Uh, Jerry, you're a lot of matches over Christmas. Uh, apart from yourself, which I trust you had a wonderful Christmas, mm-hmm. who of our rugby teams had the best Christmas? Well, mathematically, Leinster and Munster each took 10 points in the three games, so you could say they did. Um Connor had a very decent Christmas too. Mm. They took seven points mm. and could have been a whole lot more mm. given how close they were to beating Leinster for the first time since 2002 in Dublin, how close they were and would have deserved it probably on the night. They could have had a really bumper Christmas. As it was, they had two bumper home crowds and uh, a good win over Ulster and extracted a bonus point from a fine game against uh, Munster last night. It was a high-quality game. So Leinster-Munster, I didn't think it was a high-quality game, but it was certainly an epic occasion. It sure was. And um, Leinster-Connor was a brilliant, brilliant match as well. So mm. there, was, was, there was actually some good fare. I suppose going into Europe, which is what this is all about now, Munster will feel well relieved having um, got back-to-back wins, having put the caster defeat behind them. And they, they got a, even got a bonus point with a B-team up in Ulster and then beat Leinster to end a year unbeaten at home. And then got a very good bonus point win. I thought that was their best performance of the season, Gavin, last Saturday. Yeah, and they've gone out half now. Who just has kicked ten from ten in mm. two games? This, this the, the worry about Joey Carberry after Caster, like the the little small worry we had about whether he's going to be a good place kicker. Straight away within two games, he's been a hundred percent. And he nipped back. He, he nipped back into fullback and scores a lovely try. And not play. easy ones, Gavin. That was the thing, yeah. you know. The, the over the weekend, like the ones right from out on the touchline, the the ones he was missing in Europe. There's another dimension. He also got the five and five against Leinster as well. You know, he was really good. That's that that vital. Was, yeah, yeah. There's another dimension to Munster. You saw at the end when Tyler Blainhall came on mm-hmm. to ten, Carberry went back to fullback, and Chris Farrell has been on the pitch. It gives them this whole other, mm-hmm. whole other element to their attack, um, which is which well, is. When Leinster were playing all their brilliant rugby that got them to the two semi-finals, didn't win them any trophies a couple of seasons back. It was a lot of it was predicated on Joey at fullback being that second playmaker role. It, he's such he's so good in space. Mm. It's the first time they've actually tried it. Yeah, it's, it's a real weapon for them now. Because they're probably not allowed. <laughs> that was the, it. Was the rule was? I don't think we're going to see much of it, mm. but it's it's an option. Yeah. Like and it's going to be an option that Ireland are going to go back to again mm. because of just bench options over the time. But um, Munster, Munster, I think definitely are the winners from the Christmas period, and they've got this massive game then in Gloucester on Friday, which is. Um, which it, and they got Peter Manny rest up for a couple of weeks and he looked really super re-energised and refreshed. And they pulled him early, didn't they pull him on the hour, didn't on they? On the hour, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was hobbling a bit. But he has just so many big plays again. Yeah, good in line Yeah, match winning stuff as usual. You know, I always say that about him. His stats yeah. never tell you, whoa, he had a bumper game. Sometimes it comes up a man of the match, six tackles or whatever. Yeah, 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 but yeah. it's just, and you know, he might make a huge amount of carries, but what he does is always effective. Where did he, he do them and when did he do key them? key moments, invariably. Yeah, yeah. He did get a knock during the game. He and he was one of a number of people. Munster named a weirdly strong team given that they're out again on Friday night. Mm, six-day turnaround. Mm. Quite extraordinary. I don't really understand it. Um, 
we were just talking about it off air, and uh, it's obviously it, it's a newfound mark of respect for Connacht. That's for sure. You know that they would track that travel to, up the up the road to Galway. That locked and loaded for and keep Stander and Murray and Coin and others off the bench as well, and bring them on with half an hour to go. It was. Um, it was quite a quite a mark of respect for a Connacht team that unfortunately were without Bundyaki and Jared Butler and then lost Dennis Buckley as well. I think they could have really come closer even than they did otherwise. But still, um, I guess they just desperately needed a couple of wins. They wanted that winning momentum going into Europe um, and they have it. It could be the Johan van Graan, South African kind of attitude of game on game on game. That could be how, that's probably how he's always coached mm. where guys get beaten up and they keep the, the strongest, the fittest survive and all that. Connacht are looking like a very good team. I know it's not a big thing because we're going to be looking at Champions Cup, but they really do look like they're shaping into something special down there if they can just stop getting shepherded into touch and giving over silly... They lost the game against Leinster as well over Christmas because of a silly turnover. At the, in, in, and God, the God, Godwin forced that pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had the winning of that game. I mean... Carty ran into Ty Byrne, didn't he? Yeah. Which is like you just don't do yeah, in the 18th yeah. minute of a game. Um, but they've, um, they're 14 points better off in the table going into that match mm. than they were at the same point last week. So they're now 15 points better off than at the same point. That makes them mathematically the most improved team in the Guinness Pro 14 and it's there in front of your eyes as well just by the manner they're playing rugby they're getting 8,200 sellouts they're playing a very positive entertaining brand of rugby there's a positive energy around the place under Andy Friend um, their set pieces are excellent under Jimmy Duffy's coaching um, they can change they've got a squad now um, and the most of you saw their attacking game against Leinster they've got strike plays Jack Carty's playing the best rugby of his life it's a really good story for Irish rugby that Connacht are on the way back Let's move on. To, uh, this coming weekend, a really huge weekend. You know, second last weekend of the of the Champions Cup. We was, I guess we may as well go chronologically. We start Friday night. Munster going to Gloucester. Um, Munster can't really afford. They don't have an awful lot of wiggle room left, Jerry. Do they? No, they don't. It's an extraordinary group. It's the most competitive pool by a mile. Yeah. Just for. Um, listeners out there like Munster are leading the pool on 12 points and they've played Gloucester a fourth but Gloucester are only on 8 points only 4 points behind them like all 4 teams Exeter and Castor these feel like mini knockout games now these like are the two semi-finals playoff, this weekend playoff football exactly yeah. playoff already yeah. and that's the pickle Munster got themselves into but we know they thrive in these circumstances um, you'd like it if it was Kings home at 1 o'clock on a Saturday or a Sunday mm. I think these things matter the fact that it's a Friday night, night game is going to be very atmospheric um, Gloucester probably feel this; they still got every chance and maybe even feel they owe Munster one for what happened in Toman Park I think a lot of this will depend upon whether Danny Cipriani is fit or not they missed him last week against uh, Leicester sure. they were beaten well um, if he comes back that adds another dynamic to their game and a whole dynamic to the occasion doesn't it? Yeah and it's uh, Exeter then cast on Sunday so yeah it's a, I think Munster will, will handle this Cipriani is vital obviously but Gloucester Probably could have easily won the game in Limerick if mm-hmm. Cipriani had stayed in the field mm-hmm. there a couple of months ago. Um, They're possibly the best of the rest, aren't they? You know, I, mean, I know the table told them fourth now, but after that gulf, after Saracens and Exeter, they're mm. probably the best of the rest, aren't they, Gloucester? They're, they're capable of, they're inconsistent. Yeah, but it, it, this is, look, Munster's form tells us that they should go to the level where mm. they, they've been building this. And this is probably Johan van Graan's plan. Get players onto the pitch, get his team used to each other. He used this little strip and maybe, maybe gone against the player thing because I'll rest players later on in the season. I'll, I'll get in line, get in line with the Irish management as the season goes on. Um, yeah, big game, which I, I think this is... The, Munster have shaped himself up like they're going to... It looks like they're going to deliver away from home. From, yes. from what we've seen of them on this island, yeah. it looks like they're ready and primed to deliver away from home. I think that's home. why Saturday night was so important to get a bonus point away win, their best away win in a long, long time um, before they go to Gloucester, another way match. 
Ty Burns playing brilliant rugby. The scrum is solid. Their lineout's excellent. Um, O'Mahony's back to give the leadership. Standard as well as we refreshed as well. You've got a world-class scrum half and an out-half. There's only going to be their third game together. You've got Chris Farrell back. They Chris look Farrell's like, something special. Yeah. And he, he, he makes such a difference because he, he's gain-line. We, have you mentioned Tom Farrell's excellent performance for Connacht mm, as well? But outstanding. Lots of centres these days, don't we? Yeah, oh, Tom Farrell was brilliant. I mean... One of six Lansdowne players on the pitch, and he's a contender, but it's a logjam in midfield. Well, Robbie Henshaw is injured, though, so yeah, there is true. there is opportunities for yeah. Farrell and and two Farrells. The two Farrells yeah. are, are both looking at it, going, "Okay, it's us two, Bundy, Aki, and Gary Ringrose." Yeah. And so what we know is that four centres will be needed for a Six Nations campaign. So they obviously need Joey to kick his goals. That's important. If he nails the first couple, it'll reassure mm. everybody else around him. You know, he is only a young at half. We got to remember there's got to come some slack. For me. The thing about Munster this season, I still feel they're missing Simon Zebo. I really feel that that X Factor times, there was a, a really good piece by uh, um, Murray Kinsler before the Munster-Leinster game, highlighting how they, the, the gaps close in around nine, that you know nobody was exploiting them. And I just thought immediately, I thought of Simon Zebo because himself and Conor Murray really had this telepathic understanding that he just called the ball. The amount of assists, tries that Zebo scored, that were assists from Murray was quite remarkable, or just holds that he punched through. And he could rove across the line and he could see the space and then he had his offloading game as well, as well as being a great finisher. I just think they're missing a little bit of X factor in the back three. A little he's, bit. He's, he's up in Belfast, isn't he? on the weekend oh that's right yes it should be a bit of fun he's definitely going to show up for that one isn't he because <laughs> um, like, probably in his head he hasn't given up the ghost no, is he? Like, no. all of us are sitting here thinking going look once you're gone you're gone but for Simon Zebo, he's like okay I'm going to shoot the lights out up here they still have Keith Earl they still have you know he's, and he, Earl's flying and Conway and Haley to come back I mean, I'm, and they're a better they're, they're better attacking entity now than they were last season I think even though you're right what you're saying it's the, the Murray Zebo thing is so so special but Munster look like they're really they're going to it. I think Chris Farrell is, is so pivotal, but they're going to a level and Carberry does bring a different and Haley's a good player, like yeah, you know? yes. so, so the, their season hinges on this and they look well primed mm-hmm. for it. So you, I would be surprised if they didn't win. Are you surprised if Arno Both is playing as well? Yeah. <laughs> so Saturday in the RDS, mm-hmm. one PM, uh, mm-hmm. Leinster versus Toulouse. And uh, this is a much improved Toulouse team from the last time Leinster faced them. Would that be fair to say, Jerry? Yeah, well, although that kind of that was the third of what is now a twelve-game unbeaten run. It kind of kick-started their season, really, and they've just gone to a new level. They could even send a few of the Espoirs on a on a makeshift team away to Claremont and get a draw. Um, they're flying it, particularly in Europe. They they rode their luck early on. I mean, I thought Leinster should have put them away, and obviously Freddie Burns should have put them away, yeah. and they wouldn't even now be contenders in this pool. Just shows you how tight the margins are. But certainly they're back as a European force and uh, as a contender in this pool. And it's, a, it's an epic showdown. You'd love it if it was a bit later in the day. You know, mm. two four-time winners, sellout crowd, summer pool meeting. You know, it's just it couldn't be primed any better. But I, I, I was at that first game, and I still believe Leinster left it behind. I think they should be out of sight in this pool. Yeah. And I think they'll have learned from that, and they'll learn from their Munster defeat as well. And I really do expect Leinster to win. It's an game. irresistible story, though, to lose. Like, yep. You know, I, uh, I mean, Jerry, you've written far more about them than than I'd say nearly anybody else in Ireland. Like the the turnaround in them from that match, and like you know, they were. They were talk about faded glamour. They were they were this great old superpower in Europe, and last season they didn't even qualify because two seasons before they finished third from bottom. They were gone. Yeah. They forgot, and what's more, they stopped playing when, to lose rugby. And even when we previewed 
their their match and and what they were two games unbeaten then. Mm. You know, it was still a kind of a you know Leinster going there. This is not old Toulouse. This is you know this is the you know they're a faded power mm. now. But for them to have been unbeaten since then, yeah, is is arguably the story of of the of the season in European rugby. Possibly is, yeah, and it's all about necessity being the mother of invention because they were relatively just didn't have the financial clout of the clubs mm. backed by private benefactors and multimillionaires. So they went back to their roots and started producing. They started. It was actually in a weird way the Challenge Cup run that made them have a good look at themselves again. And they start. They played a few of their own kids, the Espars in the Challenge Cup, and the kids did well. And they just went to a younger, homegrown. And they got a lot of their players. old players back as coaches. Yes. And there's there's a lot of Toulouse DNA yeah, the in kids the coaching. Dads <laughs> played for the club as well. Yeah, I know Trev Brennan's son's gone on and yeah. left, but like Romain Entemac is such a player. Yeah, yeah, such a good player. And he is son of Emil. Emil, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, different type of player, more creative 10, 12 kind of player, elusive. And what they do is they just, they strike brilliantly off turnover ball. You saw that with the match winning try against Leinster. They're, it's old to lose, you know, they're encouraged just to have a go. When they, they transition from defence to attack, they're, they're quite lethal. But I do think they'll concede tries to Leinster as well. There's there's like the little chinks. Leinster are still only averaging 42 points uh, under, under home games. Yeah. Like So there's a crisis obviously in the RDS, <laughs> but... The um, there is like if you're sitting down analysing again it's interprovincial so it's crazy but if you're looking at the, what Connacht did to them if you're looking at what Munster did to them from Toulouse's point of view you're going going okay look this is our chance to give them a rattle but you're still like I don't think they'll hit the 42 point average <laughs> but they're they're going to go fully stacked we know that and they're going to bring their A game everything yeah yeah this is this is the lens and the thing that happened over, over Christmas, Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster and all would have loved it because there's so many means of motivating your players. Motivating champions is the most difficult thing. We've just been books and everything written about it. How do you motivate winners? You know what I mean? And they've, they've effectively, they, they would have seen the Connacht game as almost a defeat. You know what I mean? They would have seen they're holding back players. and Motivating winners gets a lot easier when you have such strength and depth. I don't care. It doesn't matter what mm. sport it is. You look, like even look at the dubs or whatever, the level, Very similar. the amount of turnover, the amount of talent that's coming in, guy gets injured, next man up, guy gets a little bit off form, next man up. You look at that Leinster team, you look at some of the teams that they put out over, the, over Christmas, you know, uh, for... People that don't watch an awful lot of rugby tuning in to watch, say, even Leinster Connacht or, or, or Leinster last weekend, you're looking, there's a lot of names there that you're kind of going, don't know that guy, don't know that guy. And yet they're still, they're banging these teams, they're beating them by by loads. Like So that that motivates winners. Yeah, the, like, one of the funny things is Conor O'Brien is this new kid who's, yeah. who's really, again, we're talking about centres. Like Tom Daly went down and announced himself down in Connacht. He's just another centre. All big, strong, Robbie Henshaw type centres now. He's not even registered for Europe. That's the... Probably will be tomorrow. Yeah, I, say, I imagine he'll think. do it in the morning yeah. because... Joe Tamani's out for months. Yeah, Tamani's out, Henshaw's out, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him on the pitch starting, you know what I mean? Really? You think? It's possible. Like, where? what do you think their midfield will be, you know? Well, Rory O'Loughlin... You know, would have thought might probably start again. There. He's he's a really reliable yeah. uh, guy, and they've they've tried him at twelve and all that. But O'Brien's delivered. You know, he made made mistakes and all that. But O'Brien's delivered, and he could be their twelve with ring ring rows. Wasn't and, O'Loughlin man of the match in our last game? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he yeah. came on and did you know, well. So yeah, he's delivered as well in the European and he's Cup. and he's I established. But I I'd go with O'Brien. I play him at twelve with with ring rows and sex on either side of him. Um, did you see what they do in the back three? Isn't it with no James Lowe there? That's a loss. 
Yeah, oh, it's a loss, but it also means Scott Fardy gets to be in the mix, which in the is, mix. so there's a there's a bonus there. As Might well only be that. on the bench. That 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 being said, but, but yeah, but it's what a, a, what a guy to have on the bench. Sure, but Lowe, Lowe you know? is such a brilliant X factor attacker. That's O'Loughlin on the wing, maybe then you know, possibly. So you get everyone. You get get them, the good, all the form players. You get them into the team. Good thing for last weekend is they got Rob Carney back in the pitch mm. as well as Jack McGrath. And Barry Daly's an option too. True. Jordan Larmer will definitely start on one wing. Carney fullback. Then's a question who starts on the other wing. Might be Adam Byrne. They have a few options, despite the fact that Tamani, Dave, Adam Carney, Byrne should be established by now. He's yes. actually getting a good, getting a run of it this season, and he's doing quite well. But it makes no sense why, after his first cap for Ireland, there was it 2017, mm. he hasn't kicked on because mm. um, athletically wise and skill wise and the air weapon, everything. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I, I actually think. I think O'Loughlin will be bench. O'Brien will start. And no way. Burn on the wing. Not a chance. O'Loughlin will start. Anyway, I think I think they will do the number on them up front a bit as well, don't you? They've got. They're going to. You know. If, I think if they want to, they can just go and pick and jam it. They can maul it. They can scrum it. They can. They can put just put unremitting pressure on Toulouse mm. for a spell as well. What do you make of Toulouse pack? From what you've seen of them, it's it's. I don't know if it can stand the heat of something like this. Um, I just. From what I saw of them against Leinster in the first game up, I just think if Leinster wanted to be a bit more bullying about it, they could have been. And I just came away from that game thinking Leinster might bully to lose a little bit at the RDS. Jerry, talk to me about Ulster Racing. Like, the season has gone far better for Ulster than when we were sitting here at the start of the year mm-hmm. wondering how it would go. Um, McFarren's doing very good a job. bang-up job there. Yeah, yeah, very, very, very good job. I think they're all everybody's probably just relieved that last season is over as well. <laughs> There's a bit of that going on. On every level. Uh, they've made some good signings. Will Addison, obviously. Marty Moore's getting fitter again. Jordy Murphy's a good signing. They've made some good signings. Um, I don't think they've necessarily the strength and depth to you know mount a sustained campaign deep into Europe or maybe even deep no into Europe. No strength and depth. No, and they don't have a second string. No, they don't. They got and that team on the weekend in the RDS. The defence was atrocious. Mm. Like they, the defence wasn't of any way professional standard. Leinster lads were running through them. You know, it was it's not acceptable. But like the guys aren't up to scratch below the surface. They don't have a middle management of players, and we know the reasons why they've been like he again. McFarlane gets credit for this. He's cleaning out guys who aren't up to scratch. Mm-hmm. Like he cleaned out two props there in the middle of the season. You know, like props are you don't get rid of props in the middle of the season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They just they're gone. You know, so it's a it's and the multiple retirements, and this is why he, he deserves a lot of credit. They're going to get out of this pool. They could do. <laughs> like, if they just put up, they go back to the emotional element of it all, and racing are second best team in Europe, probably. Uh, if they go back to it all and just give them a real Raven Hill, give them a re- torturous yeah, Raven day, Hill you know, up the nose. Do yeah. the whole thing, yeah, get yeah, their yeah. best 15 on the pitch and really go for it. They, they go into the quarterfinals. And for this squad, in, considering the coach came in late, considering everything about their. Like their half backs, like we can go on about it all day, but just their weaknesses and their weak points for them to get into a quarter final of Europe is a huge and to get in to stay afloat in the Pro 14, it's a huge achievement. You would be, they almost certainly would have to beat Racing, though, wouldn't they? Yeah, I don't see them losing maybe even 15 points. You never know, I suppose, beat Leicester away, they might conceivably squeak in the back door that way, too. They've given themselves a chance, which is remarkable. Um, but I was at the first game. In the super duper indoor oh, yeah, arena, in, La Defense Arena, yeah. Yeah, in the cinema, yeah. where La Defense Arena, where Racing just attack, attack, attack. Um, they they won again the weekend with another hit and miss performance. Racing are a real hit and miss team. They've been very, very good in Europe. They've been patchy at home. 
and domestically they play a different brand of rugby away from home almost than they do at home they pick a home side and then a way side but Adams Fulcrum is still Finn Russell which means they give it a go they might attack from anywhere he's always looking to probe always looking to make an offload um, he's developing quite an understanding with Zebo. you've got Teddy Toma and Juan Amoff and Toma, people, Toma injured? Yes, I think yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've got like X Factor all over the place and they're, they they want to play, you know, super duper modern in their state of the art stadium. They want to play state of the art rugby at all times they can. But they're, they are hit and miss. You can't get at them. And this actually could be a winnable game. I would think it would be a whole lot more winnable if Ian Henderson was fit. He's such a key component part of that pack, yeah. and he was outstanding in the back. And he's gone for Six game. Nations as well, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's, he's, he's opened up the door for Ty Byrne there yeah. big time, hasn't he? Mm. There, again, he's playing fabulous rugby. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I, I've been kind of critical of him, but there is a couple of things that's worth noting about Ulster. James Hume coming through again, another centre. Yeah, yeah this kid's getting ridiculous. Um, there's there's him. There's Michael Lowry. They are because they've gone into their is Eric O'Sullivan is the loose head. Yes, uh, because they've gone in so deep into their into their reserves. They're we're finding these new players, these new Irish players. So, Eric O'Sullivan wasn't even starting for Bandon in the run into the IL last season at times. You know what I mean? It's quite a story the way he's emerged. His work rate, his tackle count is savage. He's been a real discovery for them. Joe Schmidt name checked him when he was getting his right. Manager of the Year awards. <laughs> yeah. Typical Joe Schmidt. Like yes. Des Cal had to stop him going, hang on a second here. You're going to name every player in Ireland if I let you. you know? Stockdale's a doubt though, isn't he? he? He needs to be on the pitch. Oh, that's you... a shame if he doesn't play. Yeah, I mean, he just. That boy just makes things happen out of nothing. He has this extraordinary ability to seize the moment. He might be out of the game for 10, 15 minutes up in the Kingspan Stadium and then he'll get the ball and he'll score a try or he'll make a try out of, almost out of nothing. He'll, he's just an extraordinary player so they definitely need him there, don't they? Yeah, yeah they, it's, they, it's, they need every inch of what they have. Yep. Yeah, As it, you say, they, below the sir, it's a, kind of a mile wide and an inch deep. They, mm. You know, once they start going into the reserves, then they're in trouble. Yeah, but yeah. get like okay, Leinster Munster are huge games, and that's what a lot of people would be interested in. But racing Ulster is a fascinating game. Fascinating if game. if Ulster can get that get a performance out and beat this team, okay, there's there's the see, the story of their season. Because again, we're going to watch them get forty points tanked on them in a couple of weeks' time sure. again. It's going to keep happening for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Like they're actually in trouble in the Pro Fourteen. Mm. They, they yeah. mightn't qualify for Europe. You know, no, they might have to. In their pool, yeah. They might have to eventually <laughs> think. Uh, okay, they'll go, they got to go for this, just mm. for morale, for the club and everything like that. But they might eventually think going here, we better better get all focus back on the Pro 14 because we're not going to qualify for Europe. We're going to leave our next season in a mess. But if they get to the quarterfinal, like, it's a really good achievement. And if there's one coach who could maybe um, undermine Finn Russell or go after him a little bit or have a plan to contain him, it would be Dan McFarlane given his experience in Scotland. He knows he's worked with them, would know him very well. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I can't wait for it. It's going to be, I'm going to watch a lot of rugby this weekend. And I know you two have no choice in the matter, so you'll do that as well. Uh, Pat, you'll be watching it, won't you? Be tuned will, in. Yeah. yeah, good man. It's always great weekends, the yeah. January weekends, you know, January the pool weekend, aside. Yeah. They're, they're just brilliant. I mean, weekends. this in the NFL, uh, it's uh, time to get. Did you see the end last night? I saw the end yeah, last Pat night. hasn't seen it yet, so let's ruin Pat it. Pat hasn't seen it. Don't ruin it. <laughs> Can we ruin it now? Yeah. No, 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 no. Cut, cut. Lads, thank you very Before much. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you. Oh, I can't believe that nearly happened. <laughs> I should have just, just done it. It is early January, Pat, so obviously we're going to start talking about golf. Yeah, exactly. It's the season, isn't it? It is the season, yes. Uh, Philip Reid uh, makes his uh, in-person podcast debut, I think. I, th- I don't think we've ever had you in, Philip. Yeah, I think I've been on Skype pretty much before now, so well, you're uh, in here. You're, you're easier on the eye in person. Thank you. He said, weirdly. Um, thank you for coming in. We have you in a little bit to talk about uh, 
Rory McIlroy. But we'll get to that in a minute. First of all, you're off to Wentworth tomorrow for huge surprise news that everybody already knows, really. I think even the dogs in the street know what's going to happen in Wentworth tomorrow. Uh, Podrick Harrington will be named as Ryder Cup captain for Whistling Straits next year. And uh, it's it's a bit of a milestone, three Irishmen in the last four. So, yeah. But uh, I think there's no surprise, you know, once the Justin Roses and the Rory McIlroy's and pretty much everyone else threw their his name into the ring and no one else everyone else stood back It's he's had a clear run at it so it's just rubber stamping it is as you say a kind, of, a kind of a milestone it, it, it for for players in, in Europe and America it it is the sort of the the this is your life moment in in their career you know like like and there'll be a bit of that tomorrow it's almost whatever about you know obviously the it gets to be a serious business around the time when when it eventually comes around but this part of it is a kind of uh well look Parik, you've had such an amazing career here's the sort of the capper on it the capstone on it that's exactly it it's not quite a hall of fame moment mm. but it's uh you know, he's still competitive. Obviously, he has this broken bone in his wrist, so he's not going to be playing for a little while yet. But uh, he's still very competitive. He led to scrambling on the European Tour last year, which was amazing. Yeah, I didn't know that. 47 years of age, and, you know, he's still grinding it out. And even with the plaster on his hand, apparently, he's been putting, putting non-stop. So we expect to see a better putter. But as you say, it's, you know, it's... The icing on the cake in many ways for his career, and uh, very much deserved. You know, he was, he was the guy that led the European Tour players when he had his breakthrough in at in Carnoustie, mm-hmm. and uh, followed up with a PGA, and then successfully defended the Claret Jug the following year. So, three major titles in what thirteen months, and you know, he he was the one that opened the, the doors for everyone else to follow him. And the yeah, inspiration. and funny enough, in a Ryder Cup context, a really good Ryder Cup player, at a time when, when European players weren't winning majors necessarily, like so pre-Carnoustie, but uh, 99, uh, 02, 04, really solid uh, Ryder Cup player for you. He's been a terrific Ryder Cup player. Actually, I remember Brookline back in 99, mm. And uh, we all know it's recalled as the Battle of Brookline. But I remember on that Sunday, he, he was almost unflustered. I remember walking around, actually, his dad, his late father, Paddy Harrington, he was more interested in almost knowing where Cork winning the All-Ireland final That's that day. Right. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but uh, Podrick, you know, that was, that was his introduction to the Ryder Cup. And what happened there, basically, you know, set the scene, really, didn't it? You know, it was so wild, it was the Americans running onto the green and, you know, nothing else is going to, everything else that followed that was going to be, you know, easy. You take it in your stride. And, uh, you know, he's been a great Ryder Cup player. I remember uh, Oakland Hills with Paul McGinley yeah. that time, you know, that was you have to, the Olays, the Olays and uh, Molly Malone ringing around the place. You know, it's fantastic. As you say, Philip, the, the back end for Porrick to get this job has been pretty unanimous from behind the scenes and from the players. What are the qualities that he would bring that that to the, being a captain. He obviously impressed last year as a vice captain as well, didn't he? Yeah, he's done three three uh, vice captaincy. And remember, like Maliki was there in Paris this year, and uh, for some strange reason, all the vice captains sort of had a muscle placed on them. That's we right, couldn't talk yeah, to them, yeah, yeah. so he couldn't talk until basically the Sunday night, and the champagne was flowing around the place. And uh, that night, uh, Graham McDowell pretty much ticked the boxes to what the ingredients of Patrick Harrington. He said he dots the I's and he crosses the T's and uh, 
in terms of analysis, in terms of how he's going to go about it. He'll bring his, you know, there's a template there. Paul McGinley kept referring to this template that every European captain brings in. But does, you can be sure Harrington will do things slightly different, tweak things maybe a little bit. And, you know, there's absolutely no doubt he'll leave no stone unturned. He, you can just see him. You can just absolutely see him now. Somebody tomorrow will say, and of course, Porek, your great friend Paul McGinley, really, you know, set up what a what a European captain should be. And you can just see him. He'll bristle a little bit. He'll kind of go, yeah, I, yeah, obviously I'll take notes, but you know, I, I, and he will. That's exactly it. He'll do his own little thing because that's that's what he has done forever in his whole golf career. It's just been his own little spin on 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 everything that is already there. Absolutely, you know, and he has to do it his own way. There's no doubt he's going to have a chat with McGinley. Yeah, he knows Bjorn as well. I'm sure he'll have a chat. I think Thomas Bjorn surprised a lot of us, didn't he, really, with his captaincy because we all saw him as this uh, Great Dane, but uh, sort of a hot-headed Great Dane that was liable to do anything. And he was actually very controlled. And when he, he selected his partnership, he stuck to them, even if they weren't playing well. And Rory McIlroy was actually the case. After that first that. morning, that, that first morning in, in Paris, Europe were in trouble. They were 3-1 down. McIlroy had, had a shocker playing along alongside Olison. Yeah. But they turn it, you know, stuck with what they were set out to do and turned it all around. He did, absolutely. You know, and... Uh, there's a game plan there, obviously, but Harrington is his own man and he's been around so much, he's won so much, he's had ups, he's had downs and, uh, you know, and he also has this background of a team environment going back to when he was playing his GAA back in mm. school days and he recalls the time when he was playing against Desi Farrell and being left on his backside, you know, but and then he realised, well, golf is the game for me and not the <laughs> yeah, football, yeah, so yeah. I think it was a very wise move financially anyway. Philip, is it, does it ever happen... Um, that because it's every second year, next year is going to be in Whistling Straits, obviously. Thomas Bjorn had the benefit last year of a course that was picked to the liking of, of, of European style of golf. Is it is it a slightly poison chalice to get the away leg of the Ryder Cup from a captain's point of view? Well, I think Darren Clark definitely got the uh, poison chalice in uh, Hazeltine because uh, it became just... Uh, target practice for the Americans you know the fairways were so wide they could just bomb the ball up there was no rough and uh, they had fast greens I think Harrington is actually quite clever in deciding that he's going to go for this particular one in America because whistling straights at the back end of September in Wisconsin there's only so much you can do to set up the course the greens have to be kept slower almost European tour style greens because it's so late in the year and uh, the rough can't the rough obviously won't be a real factor in Whistling Straits, but there will be wind. So in terms of getting an American course that's as close to a European setup, Whistling Straits is it. So that plays a little bit into Harrington's hand, but as we've seen, uh, home the home factor in the Ryder Cup is massive in recent years. Um, we will move on. You, you mentioned we mentioned Rory last night. I I stayed up late watching the NFL we're not going to talk about it because Pat hasn't seen any of it yet <laughs> but as I went to bed at like uh, one o'clock Rory was just coming around the turn uh, and was two shots back of Gary Woodland and playing really well and I kind of went I don't know if he's going to overtake him here but uh, I completely think that he'll come second uh, and then I woke up this morning and he finished eight shots behind Xander Schofley now Xander Schofley came through the field shot a 62 and won like a fantastic final round uh, Woodland played very well and and hung on to Shuffle, but God, Rory just went backwards. 
Well, to shoot just one under par in your final round is absolutely going backwards on that plantation course. And uh, Rory was actually one over par for his back nine, which basically, you know, you, you plummet down the field when that happens. OK, tight forward is not plummeting down the mm. field. But, you know, that's it's another example, probably a little concern. I know we talked afterwards about all the positives that came from the week with his new driver, his new ball, his new putter. But, you know, it's another example of going into the final round of a tournament in the final pairing and not delivering. That's now seven times in the last 12 months going back to Abu Dhabi, yeah. So uh, this time last year. So uh, it has to be a little concern. It has to be in the back of his mind, you know, uh, how do I get back to this time where I was demanded, you know, provoked fear on a leaderboard Mm. rather than being uh, the one that's sort of everyone is jumping by. And because funny, yeah, and, and I think it gets overstated a little bit in golf. Because uh, winning is hard, like and in golf, almost yeah. more so than, than than any other sport, because the margins are so tiny. You know, uh, a, a missed putt is is all it takes. You know, uh, a ball lipping out or, or or whatever. But seven times in a year, being in the final pairing and not winning yeah. is that's a trend. Like that's that that's an accumulation of of evidence. Like it's more than just a quirk. It is more than a quirk. You know, if you go back. Okay, it started last year in Abu Dhabi when uh, Fleetwood won. Mm. Then he was uh, Hei Tong Lee in Dubai. He was paired again with him, and you know you'd expect him to uh, to, to, to be the intimidated, yeah. take yeah, care yeah. of business there. And then you know you look back to Wentworth last year, Malinari. You look back to the Tour Championship, Tiger Woods. So you know, Rory was a few years ago the guy that people were starting to look up at the leaderboard and feel a little bit intimidated that's not happening anymore and then you see someone like Shoffley who's only 25 years of age and he's now won four times he was only a teenager when Rory was winning his first major back in Congressional in 2011 and uh, he's now won four times and the style in which he's won he's always come from behind and in each of his four wins he's always birdied the 18th hole in the final round so because Shoffley was was incredible last night because he came right through the field like he he had two eagles banging in birdies left right and center and Woodland actually you know had played very well all week and like couldn't have done an awful lot more and you know you don't mind getting beaten by a guy who shoots sixty two on the on the Sunday like that you know yeah. there's not a lot you can do about that Gary Woodland walks away from that tournament going look I played well I you know I shot whatever it was twenty three under. That's going to win most weeks. I'm not too downhearted, but McIlroy, you know, was there at the turn. He was in that tournament. Well, and, Woodland and, and McIlroy were playing together. Yeah. Woodland did absolutely nothing wrong, as you say. He bogey free 65, whereas uh, Rory just again it came back to the putter. And like you're looking at him for the first three rounds, and you're saying, okay, this new look putter, this spider, doesn't look like the old spider putter. It's actually quite. Uh, quite aesthetically a nice putter uh, and he seemed to be rolling in the putts but the issue I think in the final round seemed to be more with the wedge play that he was just too far away and he wasn't giving himself those six, seven, eight footers that you can roll in you know he was 15 feet 16 feet away he started the week uh, making the news again, as, as as he tends to do. As he always does, yeah. yeah. Honest answers to straight answers to straight questions. Um, I thought he took a little bit more heat than he kind of deserved for what he was saying about the European Tour. You might just so, fill people in. And yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, he's he's obviously committed a bit more to the PGA Tour, and uh, 
like let's remember golf is a selfish game mm. like you know even the amateur player playing every week it's it's about about yourself it's not about teams so like when you're looking at what Johnny Sexton is doing with the Irish rugby team or the Leinster team or Peter O'Manny with Munster in Ireland or any of the guys playing GAA you know like they're there in a the team environment Rory is a sole trader He's his own corporation. He's his own exactly, corporation, yeah. and he is a business. Like, he's a walking business. He's hitting shots for business. Everything he does is about himself until he gets to Ryder Cup. Uh, he doesn't seem to play World Cups anymore. But, like, every... So, for the vast majority of the time, he's looking out for himself. And it seems to be that's what he's doing this year and focusing on So, just on to, to lay it out, he, he basically... It wasn't so much that, he's, that, he's, that he is playing a lot more in the, on the US tour, which I think everybody anticipated to a certain extent anyway. It was more that the way he, he, he sort of boldly said, let's be honest about it, the PGA tour is where it is, that's where the purses are. I don't owe the European tour any sort of loyalty. It's not like... You know, we don't make out that that I got a load of free invitations to 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 play. You know, I earned my card there. I played there for ten years, but I'm going to be an American-based player now. Yeah, but I I also think okay, the loyalty thing. Maybe he owes them a little bit, but he has hosted the Irish Open for the last four I, years. I think he's paid his debt there. He's paid a I, lot I, of debt there. He turn, turned Absolutely. around a tournament that was flagging that no, that his future was completely uncertain. Took it, strapped it to his own back and made it made it into what it is now. Yeah, but just getting back to the money side of things, you just wonder, is, there, is he looking at the likes of Dustin Johnson coming over to Abu Dhabi next week where he's going to be getting sort of a million or a million plus appearance sort of money. That, didn't whereas Rory, as a European tour member, cannot take appearance fee on a European tour. So, like, maybe he's sort of saying, OK, this is my way of saying, will you please level the playing field here? You know, if these guys want to play, let them play. But if you're going to be paying appearance money, why isn't everyone getting appearance money or the top guys getting appearance money? He did money? sort of hint at that. I, couldn't, I can't remember exactly what it was he said, but the, there was that subtext to it that, yeah, it was, you know, when, when even this new tournament in, in Saudi Arabia, you know, Patrick Reed is going, all these guys and they're getting paid big bucks to go over there. And as a normal European tour member, Rory just turns up and, 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 and pays to play, in fact. <laughs> yeah, we're reading between the lines, but it's in absolutely bold capital letters, you know what we're reading, I think. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, listen, Philip, thanks a million for coming in, and uh, we will applaud Porik tomorrow on, on his big day, and everybody's delighted for him, and we will talk to you as the year goes along. Thanks, Malky. Thanks, Pat. And thank you very much to Jerry and Gavin, who were in earlier to talk about the rugby. Thank you to you, Pat. Thanks, Paul. Thank you to Declan and Jenny behind the desk, and we will see everybody again next week. Cheers, folks.